You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Salzana. Welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, the podcast that's been designed for business leaders to learn from the masters, people who've devoted their careers to disrupt their own industries. My name is Tony Saldana, and each episode we bring you industry war stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation. I have the absolute honor of hosting who I refer to as my fantastic duo today. Chris Tyus, acknowledged global master in supply chain, and Stefan DeBars, who's EVP for global go-to-market practices at O9 Solutions. Gentlemen, welcome. For those of our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of knowing you, Chris spent 40 years in procurement, manufacturing, IT, and supply chain within CPG Industries. Chris, you moved to Switzerland in 2010, where you served as Nestle's head of global supply chain, and you currently advise supply chain strategy and a number of industry boards on traceability in the FMCG industry. Very, very interesting topic for me. You've played a key role in coordinating the end-to-end food supply chain in the UK during the COVID-19 crisis. And I really look forward to that particular conversation. And of course, Stefan, you and I have known each other for a few months now, but you've played a critical role in the exponential growth of O9 by building a brand presence in Europe, but also in the digital transformation of some of the top Fortune 500 companies like Nestle and Pirelli and AB and Bev and, and others, and I can't wait to get into some of those stories. But with that, I always like to start with a, a little more of a personal angle in people. Chris, you are, as I said, an acknowledged leader in the supply chain area. Obviously, you didn't always start off that way. So could you share a little more of your backstory? How did you get to where you are today? I, I originally studied law. Maybe it was just the negotiating aspects of the law that I enjoyed. And that led me into a career initially in procurement, originally in the commodities procurement side with Mars, and from then moved into manufacturing. And after about five or six years, I decided that I needed a bit more of a business education rather than just my legal degree. Went off to do an MBA, IMD in Lausanne. And towards the end of that time, I needed an internship So I looked down the lake from Lausanne and saw the Nestle head office and went along there and asked for a 12-week internship. Anyway, halfway through that time, they offered me a full-time job. I intended to join for 12 weeks and stayed for 36 years. A little more than you had anticipated. And Stefan, you've obviously played a key role in 09 for a while, but tell us your backstory as well. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Tony. I don't have a law degree, but actually I have a finance degree. So I started my career at, at Ernst & Young. And then after five years, decided that I want to see a couple more industries. So first went to the FMCG and food industry with Friesland Campina, which is one of the largest dairy firms in the world. Yeah. And then I decided that I wanted to see uh, a different angle and decided to join a Goldman Sachs-owned company in marine electronics. Whoa. Where initially, after the acquisition of Goldman Sachs, I was supporting and actually leading the global strategy of the company. Okay. And then later on, CEO asked me whether I was interested to fix the supply chain. 
by then, uh, supply chain was not something I was very familiar with, but they said, why don't you move to Mexico? That's where we have the largest factory in operations. And why don't you figure it out? Mm. So I decided to do that. At the same time, I was going through an executive MBA program that brought me to Singapore, to a couple of business schools in Europe, as well as to Berkeley. And especially when I was at Berkeley and spent some time in the Valley, people there think very different about solving business challenges. They don't like to solve that with spreadsheets. They don't like to solve that with a lot of people either, but they love to solve that with software. So that was pretty interesting. When I looked at the supply chain, especially the planning function, it was pretty chaotic. Mm. So I decided to uh, look into software companies and found out about a company 09. And Mm. then I was pretty impressed by the team, by the technology itself, and decided to implement that. And actually, I saw the quality of the platform, the quality of the people. And by then, they were looking for someone to kick off Europe 409. So I decided to move back to Amsterdam. And two and a half years ago now, I started 09 in Europe. Uh, and obviously now with a, a big presence in the region uh, and a lot of global companies that we are serving. And that's where I met Chris. Oh my, small world indeed. Cool. All right. Hey, Chris, uh, let me go back to Lausanne and Nestle, because one of the things that you are an industry icon in is gap closing, specifically between the commercial and the financial. And and that is a huge, huge challenge, having been in the CPG industry myself. I thought I'd talk to you about your own experiences, things that go well and things that don't go well sometimes. We have these planning meetings and we get out of there on a monthly basis. And and sometimes we leave the poor supply chain planner with a, a little bit of a challenge. So Could you share with us some examples of what has worked in the past and what can be pitfalls there? Yeah, thanks, Tony. I think there's kind of two chapters to this. In the industry has gone through a a sequence of monthly business planning, which was then largely in the functional silos. But gap closure is really interesting because it's so much the key to making every single monthly business planning meeting work. Yeah. Because it's very rare that there isn't a gap in some kind of category. And the old way of doing it was always that you would get to that monthly business planning meeting, you would see the gap, some people would brainstorm ideas, and then throw that back over the wall to the sales and operations people who would come back and say, is it possible? And to the finance people and say, how much money will we make? Or very often, how much money will we lose with these particular mechanics? And I'm a great advocate that we should come to that monthly business planning with a number of scenarios. In other words, do we have enough materials? Do we have the capacity? What will the profitability be those particular mechanics? Mm -hmm. That monthly business planning or the gap closing part of that meeting becomes which of these mechanics do we choose to be able to make the plan? Plan B or is it plan C? Or as Stefan is very keen to often use the left goalpost, the right goalpost or middle. And that is good gap closure. So often though, my experience, it tends to be the bad side. People dream up a plan, they throw it back, but you don't have time for other meetings. And in the end, the category CEO or the category lead has to put a finger in the air and say, go with this one, whether or not it's achievable or whether or not it's profitable. 
this is a fundamentally different, two different styles. One is the meeting essentially is let's understand what's happening and let's brainstorm and, and, and come out with some ideas type of meeting. And then the other one is really a decision-making meeting based on the understanding of the scenarios. It's funny how many companies all say they are doing SNOP or they're doing planning, but what type of planning they're doing is really up to the, the leaders there. And Stefan, you've often said that data without insights is a boat without an engine. And, and to Chris's point, this is really where uh, scenario planning comes in. And COVID has really brought this to the fore where you have to do this much more frequently. What have you seen change in this area of planning as a result of pandemic around us? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Tony. And I think maybe to build up the story from Chris, I think when it comes to gap closure, uh, whether it's weekly or monthly business planning, is that the gaps are detected way too late. Mm. Now, why is that happening? Because a lot of companies are still very focused on the lagging indicators of the month. Mm. So whatever I sold last week, last month, last quarter, last year, is going to be the focus for me in terms of what's happening in the market. But that's the wrong way of doing it. And especially that's what we have seen with COVID the moment you're still looking backwards and you don't have the ability to sense what's happening in the market, then you will always respond too late and not necessarily materialize on the opportunities that you see. So I think the big difference there is that we need to start looking into what is driving the market, right? Whether that is your own trade promotions, whether that is, you know, in terms of COVID, can we see what is the number of correlations in terms of number of cases and people actually going to a retail store and buy stuff. So I think the entire notion is getting closer to the consumer, bringing in those drivers so that you can start steering the ship based on leading indicators of the month. That then leads to the other issue because to Chris's point, we are in this meeting and we are discussing gaps, mm. but in the majority of the cases, people don't understand the root causes. Yeah. So how they respond today is they say, I'm going to respond price promo. Yeah. But if the gap is, for instance, a result of poor distribution coverage, then you can reduce the price. It's not going to solve your problem. Exactly. So again, that is where we need to take into consideration those drivers of demand, yeah. not only using them to better predict what's going to happen in the future, but using those to understand the root causes. Yeah. And I think there are now techniques out there, especially in terms of advanced analytics, AI and ML, where we can put those different drivers into the model to predict a much more accurate forecast. We really need to start looking into what drives my business rather than what drove my business, yes. you know, last quarter or last year. Yeah, you're basically driving with your rear view mirror, but by looking at what's ahead. You also said something very interesting, which is data versus insights. And, and I know this has been talked about for a long, long time. But Chris, I have heard you say data is the new oil, but insights are the new petroleum. So what I wanted to ask you is examples that you've seen from your own personal supply chain experience or some of the consulting work that you do. How do companies use insights to make decisions? How does all of this come together in the modern world with all of the information that's available? I really liked Stefan's example there about basically making the meetings more fact-based. Because what I call the old way of doing monthly business planning meetings 
you get opinions. And when you actually move to real data and from that, the real insights, because I think we used to always say we needed more data. 10 years later, we didn't need more data. We need far too much data, but too few insights. But then you make the role of the supply chain planner much stronger. He or she is actually providing the numbers. And then you turn the meeting into much more fact-based and a number always kills an opinion. And it's killing the opinions in monthly business planning meetings, which is so often important to finishing up with the right result. That is absolutely true. It's funny because in, in reality, the game is not necessarily just to agree on what's happening behind the numbers, but it is about making decisions. And that can be improved with the capabilities and the tools that are available in the marketplace. In in some of the work that I do, it pains me a little bit to see that despite the computing capability that's available today, many of these processes still run sequentially, demand forecasting, then demand planning, and so on and so forth. Whereas In the consumer world, in the world of TikTok and LinkedIn, there are algorithms that replan what messages should go to whom and what should rank up and what should rank down. And so we need to bring some of those capabilities, some of those decision-making insights, some of those algorithms. And that's really one of the things that I was excited to hear you talk about, Stefan, because you've had experiences with some very interesting companies like Nike and and Estee Lauder. What have you seen there? How do these best-in-class companies use information? Excellent question, Tony. And I think it's very important when it comes to data is the ability to bring all that data together. So that is the first, almost a sort of farce that I see at big organizations. They put all their dollars and build a data lake. So now it's great. You have all the data at one central repository and so you don't have a clue what actually to do with it. So I think what's extremely important is the ability to transfer data into knowledge. But before Mm -hmm. you do that, there is a new way of harmonizing and cleansing data. So let me give an example. What's happening at a lot of organizations today is most of data is inaccurate. So let's take a prime example lead times. So the lead time from supplier A to my factory has been keyed in five years ago, says four weeks. But in reality, it's six weeks. Who knows that today? It's the supply planner because that person has the tribal knowledge. Now, what happens if that person is on vacation or forgets about it because there are so many different lead times that are out of sync, right? So what we need to do is actually take data sources that can tell us the reality, transactional data as well as real-time data, use cleansing algorithms, and then update the master data, but also the planning policies. And obviously, that is not something you do once, right? That is a continuous process. So I think that is one thing that's extremely important. But the other thing that is important, what's in for you? So let's say, Tony, you're in sales, and Chris is in supply chain. So let's take an example of a big tire manufacturer that is selling tires to a big dealer and distribution network. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened at this tire manufacturer is that historically, the sales organization was always giving input into the consensus forecast. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that input 
actually resulted in a forecast accuracy that was less accurate than if the machine would have done the work. But then when we actually started to look into the problem and we're actually replacing the traditional step model with more advanced machine learning models, we still saw that the sales organization was not necessarily adopting. So how to solve for that problem Mm. is to say, but what's in for you, Mm. salesperson? What's in for you, Tony? Mm. And I think that is where we then took a different turn and said, okay, what is important for a salesperson? That is obviously to sell more tires because that means salesperson would hit his or her quotas and comes home with a nice bonus or a nice commission. But then what we did, we actually looked into, let's say, Tony, you're driving around and you have a flat tire and you need to replace your tire. Now, first of all, why would you take a tire from a specific brand? What we Mm. learned is because you, Tony, will follow the recommendation from the dealership because Mm. you might not care and many consumers don't care. So then why would the dealership make the recommendation? One, the tire is in stock, right? That's easy. Or or two, there might be an incentive from the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So now we have that information. What is the other information piece that we need? Is for instance, all the different cars that are driving around in the US. So now we know that Tony, you live in California. There might be more Teslas in California and in Texas, there are more pickup trucks. So the moment I know what is driving consumer decisions, The only thing I now need to do is use that data to then provide the sales organization with assortment recommendation at the dealership. So we turned the entire conversation around from providing manual input to the forecast to actually providing insights back to sales Mm. to give the right assortment recommendations to the dealerships to sell more. And I think we see more and more of those examples coming up, Tony, where we are supporting companies in the transformation of data to knowledge and then transforming knowledge to insights. And I think that is critical for a lot of organizations because a lot of organizations today, they are still selling into a retail channel or a wholesale channel. But I think the leading organizations are looking into the end consumer. But that means something very big. That means I don't have 1,000 or 2,000 customers. I have now 200 million consumers. So how do I now start shaping demand and know that Tony is a particular consumer that likes this particular product and is so profitable for me as an organization. But Chris, Chris is the type of consumer that only buys my product if it's on sale. And hence, I want to make different decisions in serving Chris than serving Tony. And I think we are now going into a transformation on the consumer side that is going to change the operating model of an organization. And that is where technology comes into play to support that transition. That is well said. I I think the issue of what is the landscape in which you are running this process? Is it siloed? The world initially went from supply chain planning to what you were saying, Chris, integrated business planning at the same time when looking at the landscape from your customers being the target audience to now individual consumers uh, being the ultimate target audience, which is what makes this so very, very exciting. Chris, this is really also where working across industries and working across different types of problems can be so fascinating. You were sharing with me a few days ago stories of your work with the UK government on grocery spending. And I thought that was amazing because, you know, talk about 
supply chain planning under very different circumstances and, and in a totally different context. Now, we're not talking about companies, but we're talking about countries. So in your mind, what has COVID-19 and some of the work that you've done and what you've seen taught us about supply chains, you know, especially as consumer spending habits change during the pandemic? I think Stefan's comments about the importance of real-time information in a fast-changing world have really come home together since COVID. Okay. But we see far faster changes in consumer demand and even from supply constraints than we ever, ever saw before. The job I was asked to do between the actual invitation and taking up the job was a sum total of 18 hours which shows how fast things were moving back in March of this year. My job is to bring together the whole agri-food supply chain. Mm. So that's retailers, manufacturers, distribution companies, and growers. And wow, we're seeing, you talked about the VUCA world earlier, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Well, we've now got the VUCA world in spades. Yeah. Certainly in the UK, the average grocery spend online was 5% prior to COVID. It's now 13%, more than doubled. The average time a consumer or shopper spends in store is down by two thirds. People don't browse shops anymore. They look for the brands that they know, the brands they trust. In most countries, out of home purchases either shut completely or vastly diminish overnight. And what does that do? People eat very differently out of home to the way they do in home. So what we had became, was called the carcass imbalance. And what that basically means is if you take the the steak from the the rear end of the cow, the vast majority of that is sold through the restaurant out of home trade. Okay. The portions that come from the front of the cow, that's sold in home. All of a sudden, you have one part of that business almost totally disappearing Only if you bring all parts of that agri-food supply chain, the retailer, the manufacturing, the slaughtering of the meat, the farmer together, can you change that so that in the end, we get more people buying steak in-house. But those changes happen almost overnight. Yes, yes, yes. Don't get that information without real-time data and most importantly, the insights, because the data alone is no use without the insights that... I think we've just discussed in that story. That is fascinating. And and that is so true. The other thing that has happened is obviously your brand is well known to consumers or you're a new brand starts to also affect uh, your sales because you said there's no time for browsing and consumers may not be open to as much experimentation as they used to be. Have you also seen that happen in maybe the impact to companies? I think that's something that everybody in, certainly in food and consumer goods is seeing. Whether it be the driver of the the consumer spending less time shopping in store or that $13 out of every $100 being spent online and people go towards the brand or even the SKU that they know best. So we're seeing changes in buying patterns But those are evolving as we move on. And that's why Stefan's point about real-time data and real-time insights. You cannot make one decision and then live with it. You have to change it as the consumer is changing. We have to be 
consumer driven and the consumer is behaving in very different ways yeah. that they behaved nine months ago. Oh, absolutely. And I'm a prime example of that. Every piece of shopping I used to do is, is pretty much ground to a halt in favor of online shopping. So I'm going to uh, essentially take a little bit of a pivot here, Stefan, and come back to the personal because yes, it is a VUCA world. Yes, we're all living through very different times, but this has also been an opportunity for self-discovery. So I'm going to start with you. I would love for you to share with our audience. You've had obviously a very interesting career across the world, across industries. As you look at people in the narrow planning, business planning, integrated planning area, what would be the piece of advice that you'd give them? I think the first one is planning is not a supply chain topic. Mm. Uh, it is a business topic where mm. revenue, commercial, finance, and supply chain all have to contribute. And the other advice that I would have is sitting idle is not going to help you to yeah. move forward. Yeah. Uh, a lot of big companies are starting to think as technology companies. Mm. They want to transform. They want to do it faster. They want to get closer to the consumer. And they want to understand what are the trade-offs that they're making every day. And what is the financial implication of that? Technology has become your best friend. And my recommendation would be embrace it and, and work together to drive transformation. It's going to be the only way to thrive in the coming era, given the volumes of data that are available. So well said. And Chris, the advice that you give some of the biggest companies and their leaders, what's the most common piece of advice you give them? I think it's a little bit to stay flexible. If we came back to your first question about scenario planning and, and gap filling, using a range of different scenarios, the left goalpost, the right goalpost, the middle is so essential because forecasting is impossible. A forecast is either wrong or it's lucky. And most of the time we have to work on being less wrong. So only if you scenario plan and in an integrated way, ensure that you could meet all of those different ranges, would you be successful? So you have to stay flexible. That one plan and the guy who says, give me a correct forecast <laughs> Is the one who's living in Never Never Land. <laughs> that is so true as well. And with that, I want to take the opportunity to thank both of you, Chris and Stefan, for joining us today. Of course, we could have gone on for several more hours, but hey, left us a lot of great insights to think about. And for all of our regular listeners out there, thanks again for joining us. If you haven't already subscribed, please do, because we want to continue to bring you folks like Chris and Stefan and their stories and their insights in this VUCA world, as they said. So until next time, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.